0: Welcome back to our second episode on The Grim Sleeper. I'm your host, Emily.
1: Hey, it's your boy, Willie. And I'm Octavio.
0: We're sorry about the break last week. We all had things to do, and the stars just were not aligned for us to record. We appreciate your patience and understanding, though. So here we are, back at it and ready to crank this out. So put on your listening ears and join us in these bloodthirsty times. <laughs>
2: killers do on a small scale what governments do on a large one they are a product of the times and these are bloodthirsty times
0: hey
3: hey caught hey, hey. you off guard there huh? yeah <laughs>
0: Um, so has everyone seen the cartoon picture a fan submitted to the podcast? You guys Yeah, saw it, right?
3: uh, yeah it looked pretty cool. All three of our faces on there. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Podcast mm-hmm. name and all that. So, um, no. yeah, you guys should check him out and, you know, maybe go get yourself one of his picks done or 12 of them. His name is Lil Young, and he's really good. He did my personal Facebook profile pic and then did one for the podcast as a fan submission. And here we are to shout him out. His Instagram is young, Y O U N G underscore, A W T underscore, one zero one. And we've tagged him in both the picture on Facebook and Instagram so you can find him easily. And thanks again, my guy. Shit's
3: dope. Yeah, dude, you did a good job. Thank you for that. Appreciate it.
1: Yeah, yeah, it looked really cool.
3: So uh, this one. This episode is kind of long, so I just I'll, I got to start though. We we have a few corrections from last episode. Um, for some reason, I kept calling him the Southside Strangler, uh, but he is a Southside Slayer, not the Strangler. And uh. I
0: may or may not have called Anitra Washington a prostitute, and she wasn't. Um,
1: How dare you!
0: So I apologize, Anitra, and family. How
3: dare
2: you?
0: Um, yeah, I she would never mean
3: to Yeah. This is this is one of the things I keep talking about, like being a podcaster, how we learn things all the time. Uh if we had just kept listening to the book, she clearly says that she doesn't really uh comply or, or help the police because they said that she was a sex worker at the time, and she's like, "I wasn't, so fuck you guys." Oh, and also, um, I
0: didn't call her a prostitute. I said she was a sex worker. I didn't call her a sex worker. I think I was just saying if she was, I wouldn't advertise it. But like, yeah, yeah we didn't call her a prostitute. I didn't call her a prostitute. That's not what we were saying. But
1: either way, seems, seems she's like she's backpedaling a little bit.
0: Yeah, I just didn't mean to read the word prostitute. I was supposed to say sex worker, I believe. Anyway, regardless of what. Last episode we referred to her as a sex worker, not a prostitute.
3: Yeah. But like I said, we the further chapter, maybe like twelve chapters later, she she say, she states that she uh she doesn't help the police because they're like, Oh, you were just a sex worker, that's why you were in the situation when she wasn't. So just a Sorry. few corrections. Just a few corrections before we get into the episode. Not a so, big deal or
1: nothing. Uh what did
3: I do wrong?
0: You were perfect as always. Yeah. A little precious. I can't, I
3: can't think of anything you've ever done wrong. Neither no, can, can I. Thanks. <laughs> no, neither, neither can you. Yeah. <laughs> you you're me, so yeah.
1: good.
0: You're so good at everything. Whoa. No, I was. I was being serious.
1: Let's not go that far. No feces be, there. I should be married. If that's the case, I don't know about that. <laughs> Anyways, shout out <laughs> to
0: his. William will start with that one today. Only fans listed in bio. <laughs> Get him a <away>. wife.
1: Yeah, it's <clears throat> yeah, new camera. I'm going to start showing off my titties. <laughs>
3: <laughs> All right. So we got a lot to cover this week. Uh, so let's go. So when we last left off, it was 1988 in South Los Angeles and Anitra Washington had miraculously made her way three blocks to a friend's house and survived the last known attack by a serial killer. This killer's last known fatality was earlier in 1988 when the body of 18-year-old Alicia Monique Alexander had been found in an alleyway. It was apparent that the perpetrator had been the killer known as the 25 caliber killer. Despite having a survivor who could point them in the direction, the police didn't seem to care enough to want to solve the murders of black sex workers. But luckily for them, the killing seemed to stop for 13 years. Coincidentally, though, uh, police had arrested an LAPD sheriff or LA Los Angeles sheriff named Ricky Ross. And even though all the charges against him would be eventually dropped, well, I mean, the 25 caliber killings charges would be dropped Uh, because he was still sent to prison for the 9mm slangs that we talked about last episode. But for some reason, the arrest of Ricky Ross coincided with the abrupt stop of any more twenty-five caliber murders. Just a huge coincidence that when he went to prison, there were no more killings. That is, until 2002, and although the connection to the 80s murders would not be made for several more years, the killer would strike again after being dormant for over a decade and that is how the 25 caliber killer became the grim sleeper
0: wow so there's a lot going on here um like Wait. a whole lot
1: so you're saying there were, we talked about this last episode about a mm. cop being a serial killer yeah but there was
3: yeah there, yeah there was he remember we left off with the nine millimeter killings that uh took over the whole investigation of Anitra, yeah that, yeah, that was a cop. He
0: was arrested after being pulled over for, or a police officer saw him in a car just sitting there. He then sped off. They followed him. He noticed that it was a cop behind him. He was pulled over. Had a Pepsi can with co- cocaine in it, cocaine residue, and a hooker in his pass passenger seat. And I say hooker because that's just what they said in the book, but a sex worker and um he's like i picked her up and we were just hanging out i took her to the gas station got her a pepsi she was thirsty blah 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 blah. we weren't doing anything his pants were around his ankles they must have slipped down you know in the Mm -hmm. buying Mm -hmm. of the pepsi and he was getting Mm -hmm. a blowy and yeah so they found drugs and a rusted nine mil in his trunk that was not properly checked into evidence and thus began his little stint in prison for murdering people
1: nice yeah yeah
0: all the while women are still turning up all over la dead from who knows what and who at this point
1: and so still, still got a blow job. so <laughs> that he did
0: i guess he's still a winner
1: a so, minute, tomato.
0: <laughs> one victim in particular valerie louise mccorvey was known was sorry sorry wow sugar's low it's
1: all right stop dying please yeah okay i'm so sorry
0: um stop doing (laughs) it we're just killing this episode guys i know she was a known drug addict with six sex sex working related arrests on her record and she was living on the streets when a known pimp robert noble found her and took her under his wing as a project He loved to get women clean and then pimp them out. He even took Valerie to his grown daughter's home, Lucinda, and that was their little place to stay. And Valerie became a constant in Lucinda's life until her death. Lucinda knew her father was a terrible person and felt sorry for Valerie as she could tell she was probably a good person and knew she could probably be something if she wasn't addicted to drugs. Robert got Valerie pregnant twice. Her daughter Symphony was born addicted to drugs and immediately went into the foster care system. She then had another child, Matthew, on October 22nd of 99 and this gave her more reason to get away from Robert. Lucinda saw she had the ability and tried to help her. She stayed clean for a little while, worked in a drug rehab center and got a place in Section 8 housing. Sadly though, she could not stop the drugs and Lucinda took custody of Matthew when he was only two years old. Lucinda still allowed Valerie to visit her son and even uplifted her with hope that she could someday get clean and get Matthew back if she would just stay clean. Um, Her father Robert Noble was a very known hate known widely known pimp in the area and he was just a hateful and very angry man and he hated Valerie so much that every time she tried to leave him he usually beat her and gave her drugs to get her to stay. But this prompted Lucinda to believe when Valerie went missing for the last time that it was at the hands of her father.
3: She believed that her own dad would kill her sister?
0: She did, because he even told her that the only reason that he didn't kill her mother is because she was pregnant with her.
3: That's fucked up.
0: Yeah. So... Valerie was killed on July 11th, 2003, and it wasn't until seven years after Valerie's death that Lucinda found out her father wasn't the one that killed her.
3: Seven years she believed that her own dad killed her sister? Yes. Seven years? Damn. And he's
0: just out here probably doing the same thing to other women at this point, getting them yeah, clean probably. and then pimping them out. and She's just having to live with that
3: thought. That's terrible. <laughs> well, I mean, it, the whole situation with the dad sucks, but at least like they had some help from the mom trying to get their life together, offering help with the kid and whatnot. I mean, some yeah. help is better than none, even if her dad is a piece of shit.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, But Valerie was discovered in the early morning hours of July 11th by a crossing guard, just getting ready to start her shift about 6.30 in the morning. And I was confused at first, but I guess California, they must've done year-round school, I guess.
3: I don't know. Uh, if if it's anything like where I grew up, it was three months on, one month off, all year. So you don't yeah. get your three months off you know, at the same time. You get one month every fourth month. Oh. So maybe that was it. I don't know. Well, yeah, the only
1: the only time off I remember having was uh, summer. Is like the like multiple months off. But after that, you're just getting like the couple of days here and there for holidays. But yeah. summer is the like two months. I think.
0: Yeah, that's how we uh, do here. It's, it's a modified, it's, modified it's like schedule.
1: September and then ends in July, August, September. Yeah, you get two months off, I think.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I switched to the summers off going into high school. So I, again, like it, it's probably just where they're at. Yeah, different. I think
1: July, July was the end of the school year, and then it begins again, June, July, August, September. Yeah, it begins she again could back have been in a, September.
0: So a camp crossing guard, for all I know, I didn't really investigate that. i just realized that it could have been a crossing guard for anything but it was at a school in front of a school yeah in a neighborhood just like luca's school here but Mm -hmm. anyways a man in a light-colored sedan approached her and told her that there was a body over there and she didn't get a good look at the man or the car nor the body but he told her go over there so she did she walked over there to where he pointed and located the body of valerie louise mccorvey She called the police and waited for them to come. And upon the arrival the upon the arrival of the detective, he'd immediately put up a large white screen around the body out of respect for the victim, but also the passerbys in this heavily populated residential area of Denver Avenue. The victim was wearing a navy blue leotard that was pulled down exposing her breasts. She had brown pants on that were pulled down exposing her bottom and she wasn't wearing any panties. She had dirty socks on and was not wearing any shoes. It was immediately noted that she had a white necklace, shell necklace around her neck, and that was only seen once they removed a wool sweater that had been wrapped around her head. Mm. The police quickly concluded that this was a clear body dump because she had road rash on her right shoulder and clavicle area. And that seemed consistent with her being pushed out of the passenger side of a moving vehicle. She also had suspicious bite marks to her breasts. And once the victim's body was taken to the medical examiner's office for an autopsy and more investigation of her injuries, they were able to confirm that the body was indeed of 35-year-old Valerie Louise McCorvey from South Central. Hmm. Due to her past sex-working and drug-related arrest, she was ID'd using fingerprints and the autopsy showed petechial hemorrhaging ligature marks and multiple scratch marks around her neck all consistent with being strangled by her own necklace while clawing at her neck to fight back the medical examiner stated that it was consistent it was consistent pressure with that necklace for one to two minutes that probably caused her to pass out and stop resisting which then allowed the murderer to continue without fear of being caught by the victim fighting back or screaming the medical examiner took DNA swabs to send off for analysis since this was now a more common practice and that would help them keep track of any past or future cases that could possibly be linked.
3: That's gnarly. <sighs> That's why
1: I don't wear a necklace.
3: <laughs> I, I also think you just wouldn't look good with a necklace on.
1: How dare you say I think mine would break. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, dude, I, don't, I don't know about you wearing a necklace, man. Yeah, I'm looking at you now and... Why would you want to cover up that neck anyway?
0: That's a sweet, sweet neck.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's a sweet looking <laughs> neck, bro. Good job. Yeah,
1: my, chicken, my chicken neck. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> so as I see her pulling on my, I think it's platinum, or maybe it's gold, white gold. I don't know. Pulling on my necklace, like I'm fearful that just like very minimal pulling would not like break it. She was wearing Tocchio? a shell
3: necklace. <laughs> Can you try that for me, please? Can you? I'll just reach over there and see if it'll break.
1: Yeah. For not, the best,
3: the best I can do is give her a pearl necklace. Other than that, there's really not much else I can do.
1: I didn't say choker. I said,
3: <laughs> all right. So in 2001, a new task force had been put together to go over cold cases in Los Angeles County, and they actually found out found it quite tedious and frustrating because a lot of evidence was lost or straight up destroyed uh but still they managed to um solve a few here and there because there were a few murders who were in prison already for getting caught either killing someone else or committing a sex crime because in California those were the only two offenses that mandated taking a dna dna swab from the perpetrator so if the killer they were looking for never got caught doing one of those two specific crimes um it made finding this person extremely difficult, but in 2003, detectives had began looking into the Southside Slayer Task Force, and had found that within their investigation, they were also making notes of another set of murders of the same victim profile and same manner of death, um, which was the 25 caliber gun. But aside from that, uh, all the victims were also missing their underwear. And they appeared to have their clothes put back on in a sloppy manner. Um, but unfortunately, out of the seven murder victims, only Mary Lowe, Bernita Sparks, and Barbara Ware had usable DNA evidence. Um, so in September of 2003, they sent it out to be analyzed. And finally, on December 9th of 2004, they got back a hit. Yeah, you heard me right. It took them over a year to get results back over they a year
0: a, they had a ton of different like widening nets they had to cast because for some reason at this time even though dna was still widely being collected and stuff and it was a common practice they still were not connecting the departments like the la county sheriff's department had a larger like area to run but like each individual police department like i think they spoke specifically about like riverside um inglewood and one other one i remember specifics they couldn't share their dna data with other departments until they got like the scientific la los angeles scientific department of dna or something like that i don't remember exactly what it was called but now like you can run it in codis and like NCIC all of those things are like linked for every state and county whatever city all of that so back then I'm still really confused as to how that was not already a
3: thing didn't have a put together database yet like they wouldn't have one central location to go to with like you're saying all the departments put together but I mean like they got there eventually but at this time in 2003 it was still very tedious to do. So I get it, but still, it seems over a year to get information back. Is,
1: I mean, if this was that's pretty crazy. Let,
3: okay, let's just say um imaginary just made up thing. Let's say there's a serial killer going around from the '80s who is back at killing people again. You would think they'd want to solve that pretty quickly, right? Right. For sure. Yeah. But that's not. What we're, yeah, that's not. That's not what we're talking about, though. We're not talking about exactly that situation. But anyways. <laughs>
1: The DNA so, found... We're <laughs> talking about one in the 2000s.
0: I got real confused for a second.
1: What are you referencing, sir? The case we're doing. Okay.
3: Uh, the the DNA it? found on 2000s. the victims... <laughs> from the 80s matched the DNA found on Valerie McCorvey, who had been murdered in July of 2003. The crazy thing about it is that this murder didn't have the trademark 25 caliber bullet to compare to. So the trademark 25 caliber bullet was missing. But with DNA evidence, there wasn't any doubt that the same killer who terrorized South Los Angeles for four years in the 80s was back. And whoever it was had never been caught doing or never been caught killing someone or sexually assaulting someone. So he just wasn't in the database.
0: That's nuts. So, in December of 2004, it was brought to the attention of the police that the DNA of Valerie McCorvey's case was actually linked to the Mary Lowe case from 1987, <laughs> but then they found out that it was also linked to an Englewood case of a 15-year-old murdered foster runaway that was found on March 9th, 2002, and her name was Princess Berthamue.
1: What a name. That's a, that's very unique.
0: Very. Um.
1: I'll keep my thoughts to myself.
0: Is it not unique?
1: Yeah, it's unique. Yeah, it is.
0: Okay. So, Princess Like I said, I'll keep
1: my thoughts to myself. (laughs) Okay. Continue along.
0: (laughs) She had a rough life from the start. Her mother abandoned her, leaving her with her father, Venus Berthamue, and later his girlfriend, Martha Germany, joined the picture. (sighs) And both of those people were giant pieces of shit.
3: Yeah, I think... I think we should probably trigger warning her story. It's it's pretty gnarly. Her yeah. her story involves a lot of sad and horrible things. So a trigger warning from obviously this is a serial killer episode. So trigger warning all around. But this her backstory is quite uh, disturbing. It, yeah, disturbing. I, I think
0: I even try to not like harp on the worst of the worst, but like mm-hmm. it, to it, get her no story about it. and give her. You yeah, know, it's pretty bad. So. Mm-hmm. They abused her in various, in very sickening ways and probably would have been the reason for her demise had her father not called the police when she was three years old for an accidental poisoning. And I say accidental accidental very loosely.
3: Accidental. That
0: accidental poisoning poisoning was her swallowing some rubbing alcohol, he told the paramedics. And they noticed some... Well, not some severe bruising. She had burns, cigarette burns, on her bottom and legs, and she was in very poor living conditions, also very small and malnourished. So they called the police, and then that prompted the police to come and investigate. But that prompted her dad to say, along with the rubbing alcohol, she may have a little cocaine in her system as well.
3: Oh, okay. Just what the hell? Might- yeah she also you should probably be aware she might have cocaine in her system I don't I don't know how she got cocaine but she might have cocaine in her system I sh-
0: I'm not I've never done cocaine but like she's three I can't imagine it tastes good and she just wanted to go get some so yeah these people were That's, really uh, horrible <clears>
1: throat> throat> it's very angering yeah. yeah and I watch videos well. of like cops doing like no knock warrants and taking out these drug houses and uh, they find mothers with their children's in these like safe houses it's it makes me fucking infuriated
3: Yeah. yeah it's that
1: that is the most frustrating thing to to bring a child into this world and then expose them to your own fucking bullshit
0: exactly they didn't ask to be
1: here you like why would your 3-year-old have cocaine in their like
3: or even have access to it anywhere yeah. within
1: reach? That that is inexcusable. That's Yeah.
0: Yeah. And sadly like God, that just... makes
1: me that makes me so fucking angry. Yeah. You don't deserve that. There's no. people that deserve to have children and that can't have children and then there's people that have children that don't don't deserve to have fucking children for exactly. fucking this this exact reason.
0: So she was only three years old. She was three. Very, very small. She could not speak at all. She was very skittish and had clear signs of abuse. She had been hogtied and locked in closet in a closet for days. Like I said, burned with cigarettes on her legs and butt. And she was starved for unknown amounts of time and then beaten with sticks and
3: belts. Jeez, it just gets worse and worse.
0: Yeah. The police arrested her father and his girlfriend, Martha, and she pled guilty to one count of child abuse after various, you know, agreements. And she did testify against the father, but she was sentenced to one year in prison. And Venus, yeah. And then three years probation. She could no longer work with children, couldn't be around them. I assume she couldn't have them, I hope, but who knows? Venus Birthmew was sentenced to only three years in prison for felony child abuse three years three freaking years
1: again infuriating this this pushes buttons with me yeah like
0: it was very difficult why, why
1: why is the system the way it is
0: I have no idea and still this way. I could
1: go to a bank, pretend I have a fucking gun in my hand and get 15 years to life for robbery. But I could just beat the shit out of some fucking child, give her fucking coke and i would get 3 years.
3: Yeah, it's especially your own child
1: and it's only 3 year sentence.
0: Yeah, 1 year <sighs> for every year of her life that he has completely and utterly fucked up.
1: These are these are the people that deserve life sentences definitely me going to a bank with a fake gun and scaring people and I, you're going to get 15 years to life because you robbed a bank but yet you abuse and like cause lifelong issues trauma, with, a, yeah. with trauma with a child and you get 1 year or 3 years
0: and what's well, crazy to me too is that the drugs, like how we talked about the, you know, crack cocaine versus cocaine sentencing and issues like that with the crack epidemic. Um, this was a drug case. The child had drugs in her system and he still only got three years along with the, you know, massive amounts of abuse he'd caused and visible markings he still only got three years that was
3: insane we're about to get into but this had lasting effects and when you pair that with how she ended up her whole life was just she was just a a, what how did they refer to in the book she was a human punching bag for this yes she was
0: a human punching bag that's exactly what they called her as a three-year-old
1: it starts here like this was the reason like you can look at the reason why she ended up the way she is and it's because of her parents. And who she grew up with, and they got fucking not to nothing for a sentence, like yeah,
3: yeah. Emily's gonna go into it in like, oh, right now, man. but she she did end up in a good home, and she's gonna talk about this later right now. But still, let's get like this yes, is I, I wish trauma. the trauma for
1: the for the child, but. There has to be consequences to actions for the fucking parents, not just a slap on the fucking wrist and be like, yeah, you guys Winches. are drug addicts. We're going to give you one to two years, and you're going to have to do rehab. Fuck you. Yeah, I was very you, surprised about the girlfriend. You need to do longer than that. You need to do 10 to 15 years for fucking up a young kid's life.
0: Yeah, the girlfriend yeah. was actually sentenced to the probation three years after, and she was not allowed to work with children. The father's probationary period never said Anything that he couldn't work with children or whatever. And I believe it was because she already didn't have children and he did have her. So I guess, you know, like you guys were saying about rehabilitation and things like that, like maybe they did want to give him an opportunity to possibly. I don't give a fuck back, about
1: but, when it comes to rehab, when you're fucking with a kid, I don't give a shit about rehab.
0: Oh, I don't agree with it at all. I'm just saying, like, I don't know if that was the court's mentality at this point, but the uh, level of abuse and the drugs in her system, to me, that would be like.
1: You allow your kid my, to have like, fucking no cope. In their system, there's no rehab for you. I am sorry. Yeah, you I are. You, y- you are lost to society. I'm sorry.
0: And I could. That's get past the drugs. That's why I draw the
1: line. That's why I draw the line I, when it I comes even to kids. Get past
0: the drugs. Kids get into shit, but the abuse. No, that that's 100 no. percent intentional. When you
1: when you abuse a kid and somehow your kid uh tests positive for cocaine in their fucking system, there's no rehab for you. You're a piece of shit you don't deserve to interact with the rest of society or have interaction with anyone else in society. Yeah. Goodbye. I agree. Good day, sir. You win nothing.
0: You're done.
3: Yeah. I can agree with all of that. Like that's, this is what we're talking about where the, between the death penalty and rehabilitation, which is what I think the purpose of the penalty system is. This is definitely a case where there is no rehabilitation and the, the, just on the sheer trauma caused to a young child and will like it literally she's about to get into how it messed her up forever. Um, it's just, there's no, the the price to pay cannot be extreme enough. I mean, obviously not death, but forever in prison.
1: You can't say sorry enough as a father to your daughter. I am so sorry. You ended up as a sex worker and got murdered because of my actions. Like, no,
0: So, Princess went into the foster care system at three years old, um, and she was placed with a very good family, David and Dolores Smart. They had two kids of their own, David and Samara, and Princess had been their second foster child, and they welcomed her with open arms. She had a very rough time adjusting. She had night terrors. She didn't have any friends, and she was having a difficult time in school. Yeah,
3: because she was, yeah, oh yeah, you're about to talk about it, sorry.
0: She was diagnosed with a learning disability, and while she was fully loved and supported by her foster family, she still was having the issues of the night terrors, and she struggled socially because of how she was hogtied, put in a closet, starved, beaten, probably never taken out in public, but...
3: I can imagine she had trust issues with almost every person she met. Yes. If her own, own, quote-unquote, loving parents would put her through this tremendous thing, uh, who else can she trust probably no one in her eyes, like probably no one.
0: Thankfully though, she was placed with this family. She did become very, very close with Dolores because Mm -hmm. as we've mentioned, her mother left her abandoned her. She didn't have really a mother figure. She was taken from her father and his girlfriend at three years old. So she'd been with this family for them since then. But sadly at 10 years old, Dolores died and princess regressed badly. She never recovered from the loss. And at the same time, David, her foster father's health, was also not doing so great. So he became unable to care for the younger children because they had also added another two, I believe, foster children since Princess. So Samara, the smart's daughter, was 24 at this time. She decided that she would take care of her foster siblings, but she was a full time student, lived on her own, and it just became too much for her. So in 1998, when Princess was 12 years old, she again became a ward of the county after almost ten years with the Smart family. Yet I cannot traumatic imagine.
3: Event. Yeah, just traumatic event after traumatic event, especially for someone like this. This is this has got to be like you said. She regressed. This has to be just as mentally damning. Not not just as you know what I mean, but this has to affect her tremendously as well. Like yeah. I can't this even imagine. This fully
0: shapes and explains her her history and future because
1: was was like it it explains a lot of like childhood trauma and Mm -hmm. why people end up the way they are and you can talk to you know hundreds of people that are on the streets and ask about their life and it all comes down to childhood trauma yep and this is where it's at like she went into foster care, was not taken care of, and just kinda left on her own. Yeah. That's and at that young of an age, that 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 fucks well, you she, up.
0: She was taken care of by the smart family, but it just but took yeah, so... that
3: was snatched from her. That was completely yeah, snatched from under her
0: was, feet. Yeah, you are still was pulled
1: out from You're her still head. in the foster system. You're still in the state ward system. That fucks with you. Yeah. Can you imagine being that young, in a in a in a like the state ward, knowing that yeah, no one not, ca- no one no one cares yeah. about you. That, that's your adopted, that's you your do, thought.
0: You do right? have that fear, I'm sure, of being pulled away again at any point in time. If you're not adopted, you're still technically a ward of the county or the
1: state because you even, are in the foster even, system. Even adopted, you have to like deep down. It's always in the back of your head. As a yeah. kid, you realize like no one no one cares about me. No one loves me. it
0: started me. with that, yeah. I can my parents
1: that. don't love me. I grew up in a, uh, in in my family. They didn't love me, and they kicked me out, and here I am living with a bunch of other ne'er-do-wells in a foster care system, and no one loves us. Yeah, That's going to yeah. deeply affect For your sure. mental psyche going forward, growing into an adult.
0: Very much so.
1: And as much as the system is probably, like, it, it, it's probably for the best, right? Like, when you think of the the, the foster care system and it, it, in essence, it is a good system. But you have to factor in the kids and how they react to their surroundings and realize, like, it still fucking sucks for them.
3: Yeah, these are developing brains. They don't quite understand the way the system works because, in, in their eyes, it probably doesn't work because they're not, they don't feel taken care of to the best of their ability, even yeah. though uh, workers who work in childcare or um, the system are also overworked. So they're doing what they can. It's just, it's just a whole fucking circle of awfulness, I think. I have Especially two very close kids.
0: friends who, I mean, Carter's very good friends are were in the foster system and have since been adopted. But I know that like their foster parents, like there are programs out there that allow people to get foster certified in three days, three days. So you could essentially just have never been caught committing a crime or I'm not saying my friends do this, but like just the, the level of need out there for fostering families is so great that they have, you know, immensely cut back these programs and the abilities to become foster certified. So it's almost scary to think that there are people out there who are foster certified who are probably have just never been caught or criminally charged that aren't capable or in need of children and should not have them in their lives. But
3: I mean, I can think of like off the top of my head, at least three or four cases where that is what happens, where they get wards of the state and then they try to get the money for taking care of them and then they disappear. You know what I mean? It's just like, Oh, I don't know what happened to them. And and then there is nefarious reasons are
0: so full. They've got 50 Mm -hmm. kids and per one worker and they cannot check on everybody all the time. And they just have to hope that these families aren't being pieces of shit, but some of them are. And it's terrible.
1: Even the ones that are truly like loving with these foster kids it's still a mental toll on the kids.
0: Yeah.
3: Cause you I'm sure enjoy, that,
1: uh... you could, yeah, you could be thrown into this uh, uh, household and, and live there for four or five years and just experience like true loving from people that love to foster kids. Right. And th- there are plenty of those around, mm-hmm. but for the kid there are still the questions that are unanswered. Why am I here? Why did my parents not love me? Like it, that's, that's every
0: day of what if this person does what my parents did, even though yeah, it's that's never their intention. It's just always in the back of their mind.
1: There is such a deep mental trauma that goes on with these kids. Yeah, and yeah. You, I, mean, I mean, you see it, there's people that can pull out of it and they, they become, um, you know, normal can work a normal life and become normal people of society, as we'll say. But a lot of times they can't. Yeah, and you, you end up with a situation like that, like this, where you know they're thrown in a foster care and they were abandoned at a young age, and they can't pull out of that that rut. And it's very, it's it. I don't know. It's it's super sad to me. It's yeah, super it's very sad. sad. Especially at a young age, where there's nothing you can, you can do. It's not your decision. Someone made a decision for you.
0: Yeah, and they continue to do so. That's, and you
1: can't do yeah. anything about it. It's like someone else said, "I don't give a shit about this kid. Put him in foster care. They get thrown in the system, and then it's a down, it's a downward spiral from there. A lot of the times, you know, yeah. there's a small percentage that that they're able to. Pull themselves out of it, but.
0: In this situation, I can't imagine
1: anyone would or
0: not, you know, very, very small percentage.
1: Most of the times they they can't. And I I don't know. They end up on the streets and it's. It's very disheartening for me.
0: Yeah. She was placed with multiple families. And in and out, she'd run away several times And. On December 21st of 2001, she was reported missing by her last foster mother, Ronnie Smith. As it stated, she had been running away from all of her foster family homes in the past, and she'd developed an outside-of-the-house type of relationship with the streets, and she met up with a pimp in Hawthorne and began to work as a sex worker to make ends meet. She wasn't heard from again by her foster family, and on March 9th, 2002, a man, only known as Mike, called 911 to say that he had found a naked woman in an alley. Inglewood Police Department officers responded to the scene and began to investigate. Immediately, they noted that there were ligature marks on her neck and noticed that she had particular hemorrhaging of her eyes. Police took samples from items at the scene and multiple, and multiple swabs from different locations of her body for DNA. She was taken to the medical examiner's office and tagged as Jane Doe, 15. She was very small, sexually active, between the ages of 14 and 20, had trauma to her rectum and several old scars from abuse. These were the details the police were able to narrow down a possible ID to. That led to a possibility that she could be one of 49 girls. Dang. They were able to narrow it down further to 17 possible matches by just doing her height and weight. They got a sketch artist and planned to release it to the media in hopes that someone would come forward with an ID. The sexual assault kit was sent off for testing, and there were several locations on her body that were swabbed for the kit that came back positive for saliva. It actually came back for amylase, which is found in saliva, and that's what led to that. They ran these against the databases they had available, and there was still no match. That goes back to me stating that these databases were not linked, so it was difficult for them to do this. <laughs> they widened the search to the surrounding counties and still, had, still nothing came back. It took five months to finally identify this poor girl. It was Princess Berthamue. And she was only 15 years old, and she was only identified because there was a case in April of 2001 where a 35-year-old taxi driver was caught having sex with an underage girl. That girl was Princess. Her DNA was in the system from his arrest, and she was never seen by those police again, and they did try to find her after that because they needed her for the taxi driver's court proceedings. The police were able to locate the fact that she was a a runaway from Ronnie Smith's fostering and they were able to bring ronnie in and vote and bring a photo to her and positively id her as princess
3: that's uh, that whole life just to end in that way yeah just a whole life of just getting shit on and that's how you end up like it just is beyond unfair i her life I, i have like no words like that that is the one of the worst things i've ever heard
0: yeah. Thankfully, though, that last foster mom was, you know, at least not a giant sack of shit like some other foster parents were, but she at least cared enough to keep up with it and was able to ID her. And it just took way too damn long, that's for sure.
3: Yeah, it did. So at the same time, Uh, that the LAPD were making more and more connections to previous murders, a woman named Christine Pelisek, who was a reporter for LA Weekly, was writing about celebrity deaths, and she would frequently visit the coroner's office to ask about recent deaths in Los Angeles County. And actually, uh, Christine is who wrote the book that we used for the source material of this series. And that book is called The Grim Sleeper, The Lost Women of South Central. So Christine had a very important role when it came to the Grim Sleeper case. Um, Like She she didn't solve it or anything, but she was heavily invested in telling these women's stories, which is how we came to know so much about them. Um, So she managed to put the pieces together that whoever the killer was had taken a long break. And Christine is actually the person who coined the name the Grim Sleeper, since the killer seemed to hibernate for 13 years before striking again unfortunately though her story that was put out on august 27th 2008 so just jump in the head real quick here um and that article was titled
1: the grim sleeper returns uh, he's murdering Angelinos and comps cops hunt his dna <laughs> <laughs> comps he C-U-N-T. Were, the, the, comps said are, the comps are Yeah, comps. You want to get comps at like comps Robin you. or <laughs> I've got you covered.
3: Well, that article was was not well received. Uh, and police actually hated that she named him that. Um, <laughs> and it, like, it wasn't that the public did not receive this information well. It was the first time... Uh, Angelinos were even told there was an active serial killer stalking Los Angeles. Even worse was that in the article, Christine talks about how in her dive into this case, she had been the first to contact the victim's families and inform them that their loved one had been murdered by a serial killer who was still out there right this moment. Like, what like we hell? talked about last, we talked about this last episode, like the detectives who were searching or doing this case were like, to inform the family that they their loved one had died, right? Um, and then they would never follow up, literally ever. And this is two decades later, and this journalist is the first one to even talk to them about this. So I, as you can imagine, they're pretty pissed off about it. Anyway, the coroner had told Christine that there were an alarming amount of body dump cases of women in the area. And if you don't know, body dump cases are cases of victims that were killed in one location and then dumped in a different location completely. Um, And a lot of times this actually makes cases much more difficult to solve. Um, Clearly because of the evidence or lack of evidence. uh, It it just makes cops jobs much more difficult than they need to be. Um, So don't do that. Noted. Okay, so although the coroner had compiled a list of these body dump cases and spoken to the l a p d about them, they went largely unchecked. Uh, so Christine had begged uh the coroner the coroner, the coroner to share this file with her. But she, he, he wouldn't do it. Uh, he just, he's like, no, these are, you can't share these files with you. Like, this is a reporter. Like, they're not going to share everything. And it took her two months of, like, essentially begging every day for the coroner to, like, I said it again, for the coroner <laughs> to um, uh, to give her the list. Um, and eventually, like, two months of constantly badgering the guy, he gave in. And uh, Christine was able to see the list of 38 names that were divided into white and Asian victims on one list and uh, that list had 20 names and then the other 18 victims were all black females. So her next step was to get a copy of the autopsy report so she could compare the manner in which they died and maybe see a connection. And after reviewing the autopsy report she started contacting the detectives who investigated each of the deaths. And she actually found that a majority of the cases were not homicides at all, but, you know, were anything from drug overdoses to natural deaths with like a few suicides mixed in as well. Um, But there still were quite a few homicides in there. So when detectives got back to her, they were surprised to see that a reporter from L.A. Weekly interested was interested in the deaths of like drug addicted sex workers because mainstream media usually doesn't give a shit about those people
0: yeah so the media wasn't given the giving much attention to these particular cases until the police finally found the catalyst to this whole case that was Janesia peters she was born on december 15th of 1981 and was trying to start her life over on december 31st of 2006 After years of moving in and out of shitty hotels or living with whoever, she found a place to call her own and excitedly called her mom and two sisters to let them know that she was finally getting a place to stay for good. She was one of few that had a very loving, happy, and supportive childhood. She started a dance group with her sisters called Ladies at Work when she was eight years old. And she loved playing jokes and making dinner time a mystery at her house by taking the labels off of all of the canned goods in the
3: cabinets. She sounds like a menace to the household.
0: <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Are these
1: it beans? Also mentioned Are these <laughs> green beans? That's the fun of it. Who knows? You'll never Who... know. <laughs> Who knows?
0: She also loved to
1: slather Is herself it with a Vaseline a and get in the cabinets.
0: Enchilada <laughs> <laughs> sauce. I just had those. So, she did have a very loving and supportive close-knit family, and sadly, during her teens, she started losing friends to drugs, jail, and murder. Like many other, at the, during this time, she developed a drug addiction, and she became pregnant at 19 years old, and her mother told her up front that she would support her no matter what. She clearly had a good home life, but regardless, drugs are no match for even the best upbringing. She didn't finish traditional high school until after she gave birth to her son, Justin, in February of 2002, and her mother expected all of her children to attend college, so with the full support of her mother and sisters, she enrolled to to continue her education and hopefully become a computer programmer or teacher, as she always dreamed of. Her mother, Laverne, believed that she could... Believed college education was the only way out of poverty, and she made sure she did everything so she could set her daughters up for success.
1: Man, that is so sad.
3: Barry. Yeah, it's like a whole uh, drastically like uh, different lifestyle than Princess had, where she, you know, Princess had a horrible start and end to her life. Janicia uh, seemed to have like the the complete opposite almost like she had, even though she got into drugs and she got into um pregnant at an early age. I mean, she was still 19, but she had the support of her sisters and her mom. Like it wasn't like That's, she like, was left out to dry. Yeah, It's just, but it just goes to show that, yeah, like people like princess who have a horrible start are likely to get into this. But again, it doesn't like when, you have the situation of being into drugs or whatever, or you end up in a certain way. It could be anybody. It could literally be anybody. Even someone with a, the what seems like a full or a bulletproof uh, support system.
0: Yeah. But, life it, doesn't always go as our parents planned for us. And uh-huh. due to her cocaine addiction, addiction, she had to do what she had to do to keep up with the habit. And she started moonlighting as a sex worker, sadly.
1: Yeah. She when- ended when drugs take over, um, it becomes very sad. Yeah, because it seems so easy, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you think that
1: I don't. It was, but I don't have a drug addiction. I can't compare. I don't think either of right. you guys have a drug addiction. Um, no, not lately. Not lately. But to have one and then still have a support a family support system in place where they want you to succeed and yet you can't because of the addiction, that's very sad. Yeah. That's very she sad. And that's very like that hits that hits me more than anything is you know, if if you had a drug addiction and your family just gave up on you right? They're like, fuck it. They lived their life. They, they, they made their decisions in life and they chose drugs. Let them do what they want to do. But to have a mother that's like, nope, you're going to college. I want you to succeed. But the only hindrance for her is that drug addiction that she can't kick. Right. Yeah. And goes into sex like into sex work. That's very that's it's very sad. And again it pulls at my heartstrings because I like to look at everyone and look at everyone's whole story. I don't look at the homeless person as being you're just homeless and it's your own doing.
3: Well, also, like both of you have a, you guys both work in the medical field. You guys see uh, the 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 after effects of a lot of this shit, right? You guys see the gunshot victim. You guys see the drug overdose uh, victim, uh, and um, you guys have more of, in my opinion, both of you that you know we we've talked we talk all the time. I don't know if you know this, but me, you guys talk all the time with me, and we speak. But um, you guys uh, have more empathy than more than the average person you know you guys both seem to uh you know there are a lot of people who turn who work in the ems or the medical field to turn to drinking and just kind of get callous and cold right but you guys don't seem to have that both of you uh seem to have more of a um compassionate side to seeing things so you guys have a closer view of the effects of all this so i think that it actually um
1: i definitely your guys' thought process haven't about the whole thing. turned to drinking <laughs>
0: I was gonna say one of us hasn't, but we're both empathetic, right. yes. But also, um, I just feel like anyone with like, you know, two brain cells to rub together could form an empathetic view on drug addiction because nobody in their life has ever woken up one day and said, Hey, it's Tuesday, let's fucking do heroin. Like that's just not what people do. Something well, I has mean, happened not, in their life regardless of what you want to believe time. or think.
3: <laughs> Not the first time. Once you are addicted to heroin, there probably someone said, Oh, there's many days after that. Yes. Yeah. But the first time, the first time. But
0: even then, even then, they don't wake up on Tuesday and say, Let's do heroin. I want to. They say, Wake up and it's Tuesday. I need to be not dope sick. That's what they're doing at that point. After the heroin has, the addiction has started, they're not trying to continuously get high. They're trying to avoid being dope sick. Point blank. Like. Yeah. Anybody can figure that out but people with no empathy don't care to think about it in that way and that's unfortunate because like I said it could be them it could be their kid it could be their grandchild it could be their neighbor their mother their sister whoever anybody is capable of having this happen
2: yeah
1: it does I,
0: not happen over you know a choice that someone
1: wants to do this I I don't think me myself Working in EMS um makes me more empathetic towards those that are homeless and addicted to drugs and the prostitutes. That comes from me just being human.
0: Yeah, I agree. I don't think it's because we work All healthcare. There, I think it's because we're
1: I I, I I I see it a lot, right? So mm-hmm. I, I see you know i get sent a lot of these like 5150s on those that um are homeless and they're a danger to themselves they want to kill themselves um because they're at their wit's end right they're, mm-hmm. they have, they have no more uh uh they don't have the ability or care to want to live i mean this well point, then uh, there's there's no help for them they they feel like my they family don't see the light at the end you know. exactly there's my family's given up on me i'm on the streets and you know i see it more than the normal person but that doesn't um that doesn't make me any more empathetic than what a normal person should have for these people
3: yeah but you and know the sad reality is that that's oh, not the is. case it
1: is and i think it, and again i can Keep fucking hammering this nail in, but people need to be more empathetic to their fellow humans. Yeah, like not their. I mean, if if that's
3: if it's not your job that makes you empathetic, then you are in the right field. I I, I'm glad you're in it. Then, if that's how you really feel,
1: but but people should be. They should look at everyone as a fellow, you know, human being. Yeah, no matter what situation,
0: not everyone's the same. Just yeah, no matter what nice. situation they're yeah. in,
1: you know, people that are experiencing homelessness, you you ask the question, why? Why are you where you're at? People don't want to um, ask that question; they just look past them. You know, hey, can you give me a couple bucks? The ones that, you know, ask for money, I give them food. They don't yeah, want do it. You. That's on them. But I give them food. I give them water. I don't give them money. I say, or I take I'm,
0: them inside and buy them something if they're sitting outside of a gas station, even when they yell at me because they yeah, just I'm, want money. I,
1: I want you to sustain and I want you to live, whatever your situation is. But there's people that that they can't get to that level, and that's the sad thing. That's the sad thing with society. We we look at, you know, this case in particular where we have someone that you know got forced into the foster system, uh, got addicted to drugs and then eventually you know saw her demise but who really cared i don't know yeah it's a
3: tough one yeah
0: but it was a good good point yes the the jobs we have are beneficial to our empathetic mindsets but i did not go into this field And become empathetic. I have always been empathetic. And I've always been able to put myself in another person's position. Because you never know what could happen that could put you right there. And it's not our place to judge their lifestyle. It's just the nice thing to be a good human. And it costs zero dollars to be kind. Literally nothing. You don't have to give them money. You don't even have to give them food if you don't have the money to buy the food. Just be fucking nice.
1: Be kind. I sit in the back with these... 5150 patients that are trying to kill themselves. And I just sit there and I talk with them. And I ask them why. Like, why are we here? What what caused it? And, man, if I could write a fucking 300, I could write like a Bible amount of stories of why they are where they're at. And it all falls back to like childhood trauma yep and it's very sad like i wish i could go back and fix that for them and say Mm -hmm. you know what it's not you know in the grand scheme of things it's not that bad you were dealt a fucking shitty ass hand now you gotta play it Mm Yep, you gotta play it
0: so with all that being said,
1: um us yeah, Genesia... not, get, let's not get too deep. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. No, I that's keep right. going I keep going Gen- on and on about about EMS and It's my it's easy to do.
0: With... Yeah. I do the same thing
1: with my job. Yeah. It's very easy to do.
0: Um but Genecia did end up going to jail from a sex working charge and her mother took over the care of her son Justin. And she was released from jail and got straight back to her job as a sex worker to support her ever-growing drug habit. That day in December of 2006, her mother noted the excitement in her daughter's voice as she called telling her about getting her own place. Laverne, her mother, thought to herself that Janicia must have found a man who would support her cocaine addiction, but also set her up in a place of her own. It's not what she wanted for her daughter, but she enjoyed hearing the happiness in her voice. And Janicia made sure to send her love to Justin and then ended the phone call with her mother. On New Year's Day in 2007, a homeless man named Randy Hernandez was dumpster diving for anything and everything, just as he did every day. He stumbled upon a large trash bag inside of a dumpster hidden under a Christmas tree. And he thought he hit the jackpot for the recycling of the day. He ripped the bag open and immediately noted a female's hand with bright red fingernails. He crawled out of the dumpster and found someone to have them call 911. He then went back to the dumpster to wait for the police to arrive. Hernandez, this homeless man, probably fearing arrest himself, stood there and talked to the detectives and stood by. (laughs) That
1: scared me. Wow. It's
0: a storm that we have going on.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, he's got a storm? Yeah, Yeah,
0: it's rolling in and out.
1: I got bright blue skies, baby.
0: Nice. He stood by as the detective entered the dumpster to remove the Christmas tree on top of the bag and noted a large black trash bag that was closed with a zip tie. He then saw the ripped section that Hernandez made and saw the hand with red fingernails. The dumpster was semi-secluded and blocked by a wrought iron fence behind an apartment complex, so it was very unlikely that anyone would have seen the body being dumped. The detectives called the medical examiner's office and had a flatbed tow truck sent to the scene so they could load the entire dumpster on it and have it brought back for full examination to make sure that nothing was missed and any DNA possibly left from the killer could be collected properly. This is a huge step from the past cases we've talked about. They're really going deep with this one to figure it out. Yeah,
3: they made sure that they didn't miss any evidence at all. I
0: mean, they yeah. take a whole ass dumpster a
1: whole fucking dumpster yeah,
0: yeah. so like i said they seemed to be really on top of it from the start at the coroner's office the dumpster was carefully examined inside and outside it was placed on its side and the black trash bag was removed they were able to remove her body and really see the horrible story that were the final moments of this poor woman She had a 25 caliber bullet to the lower back, causing her spinal cord to be completely severed and caused immediate paralysis. She was unable to run. The autopsy also showed petechial hemorrhaging in one of her eyes and it was likely that she was strangled gasping for breaths, gasping for many minutes for breaths before she died. She was then folded into the fetal position and placed in a giant black trash bag that was sealed with a zip tie. The report noted that she was wearing a large heart-pendant necklace, white and black earrings, and only one gold stud earring. She had a tattoo that said sexy over her right breast, and they performed a sexual assault kit. This was a bunch of swabs from various places on her body to test them for victim and assailant DNA. There were no bullet casings in the bag, the dumpster, or at the scene, and there was no blood spatter found. The next day, after the coroner's examination, she was positively ID'd as Genesia Peters. Vice cops already knew her, and they knew her as Destiny. She had been seen the night before by locals, and they interviewed people to see who who may have seen her or who they saw her with. A sex worker told the police that she had last seen her at 1 a.m., and the toxicology report came back showing that she had cocaine and alcohol in her system at the time of her death. Her family wasn't notified until two days later, and they were able to reach one of her sisters. They went to the apartment of that sister, and she was very frantic because the family, including her mother, had seen on the news that there was a teen girl found dead, but they never imagined it would be Genesia. Four months after her body was found is when the LAPD pieced together the information from past cases and put together that Janicia was the latest woman woman to fall victim to the unknown serial killer running around killing women killing women with a
1: 25 caliber gun. Man. Can you imagine being notified 2 days after no
0: and knowing yeah. that you just spoke like, to her on Christmas well, or New Year's Eve too and she well, was so excited about moving out and then you don't want to think that's your daughter, but also at the same time, you know the lifestyle she's living. I can't... The mom and sisters are probably just
1: beside well, you, himself, see the, I'm sure. You see the news, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone, they, yeah. they, they, they they saw the news. They don't show the body, obviously. They blur it out, but...
0: Well, they were also saying that's she was a, that's a teenager. All. They were yeah, labeling that's... her as a teenager per the news, and she was 35.
1: <clears throat> well
0: size, I guess.
3: Was this the case where um the police knocked at the door and asked her to come in? She said, No. Yes, this was that. Yeah, the
0: she, sister was frantic and was
3: very the cops are like, uh do you is this uh are you related to Janicia And they're like, Yeah, that's my sister. What's wrong? Is she okay? Like can we come in? It's like, no, is she okay? The cops are like, Can we please come in? He's like, fucking tell me right now if she's okay. Like why would I let you into my house? Just tell me what the fuck you want. And uh eventually they're like your your sister was found uh Thank deceased. And then uh, she's like, then that's when they let her in. But like. they called her. She
0: called her mom with the police there. Her mom didn't answer the phone. They couldn't reach her. So she got an aunt who had to go find the mom who was out, you know, celebrating the new year. Not in like a hood rat way, but just, you know, celebrating. And she never expected to be contacted and told that her daughter was dead in a
1: dumpster. I mean. How how would you guys react to that? You have children. I don't. I would lose my shit. Like, I like don't. if if you saw cops walk up to your door, you know, right? Mm-hmm. I think so. If, I if, think you. Yeah. I think you would just well, know. No, it's at the this same point. If, at if this point, one of our
0: like one of our family members, but not our kids because they're so little, but well, at that it, point <laughs> when they're older. You, yeah, I would think
1: that. If you knew one of them was missing.
0: Yeah, I would always have let's, that us
1: Let's, go, let's go worst case, and I don't want to go worst case, but let's say Luke is missing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, week, I think... Right? A week. Let's we'll say mm-hmm. it, a week has gone by, and then you watch cops walk up to your front door.
3: Yeah, I would immediately be like, get, get the fuck off my porch, my kid's not dead. I would yeah. immediately be like, get, get the fuck away from me. Yeah. Yeah. I would just know i think, you, I, think I would you do the same know.
0: thing the sister did i would be like demanding answers like don't know we don't need to come in there's no pleasantries needed yeah. you don't need to come sit on my couch and hold my hand i need you to fucking speak right now yeah. tell me what's going on
3: yeah it's definitely an understandable reaction to uh because you 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 have that feeling and you you just like dude, just you fucking know. tell me what why are you here just tell me i don't need to let you inside just tell me what you want but yeah. honestly
0: until will just said that i didn't think that that was an acceptable reaction i didn't really get it until just now like her sister is on the streets she's living a you know not ideal lifestyle and they don't even know that she's missing at this point it's been 2 days but to them this is a normal thing for her to not speak to them for days on end so of course when the police come to your door you're going to assume the worst and i didn't think about that honestly until just now
3: yeah yeah it's a, it's a rough thing all around i mean i not to i don't know if it's comparable but it's like when your son or isn't daughters in the military and you get that knock on the door from people in, in, you know, Yeah, you
1: think of like world war two and you watch the movies, right? Yeah. 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 You see see the, the army car show up with the star on the door and they're in military dress and they walk up to your front door. You know why they're there. Yeah. It's not because your son or daughter got the star of a heroism. It's because they're, they died in battle. And yeah. you don't want to accept that. It's a it's a it's a a moment of I do not accept this. For sure. As much as you yeah. know it's true, you cannot accept it. Yeah. Yeah. And you have kids. I don't. Mm-hmm. So I can't I imagine, honestly. I, didn't think I can't imagine yeah, I can't imagine that. It'd be like I guess the only thing relatable to me would be one of my sisters. Mm-hmm because I'm so close to my sisters, I'm only like less than two years apart. That would be the only thing that I could relate to this uh, situation. If someone walked up saying, you know, my sister was dead. Yeah. I would.
3: You would flip your shit. You'd, you would be immediately like oh, frantic. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Like yeah. speak now. Don't. Yeah. I need yeah. answers.
1: Mm. Yeah, I don't
0: Well, thanks for putting that into perspective. <sighs> yeah, like I said, welcome. I hadn't thought of it that way.
1: Yeah, you're welcome. Now, April 27th in 2007, uh, detectives were given evidence that would link multiple murders together. They found saliva that was found on the zip ties used to tie up Janicia Peter's and had been linked to the 2002 and 2003 murders of Princess Berthamu, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Valerie McCorvey. This DNA would also be linked to the seven killings of women in the 1980s. So not only was it linked to those two, but also to an extra seven killings. Now- We follow the story of Kilcoin. And Kilcoin went to the captain who was Kyle Jackson and explained that the murder of Genesia was quite alarming. And he proved that the killer was still out there and would not stop. Kilcoin needed a task force to hunt down this ruthless killer. And the captain Jackson came back an hour later, giving him the green light to assemble this task force. KillCoin would be the leader of this new task force and spared no expense getting the best of the best to join him. Now, KillCoin himself was a burnout. He'd been working a long time. He was working homicide for 26 years, and this new task force was a welcoming change to his mundane life. He had first started his career in 1977 as a patrol officer in the Hollywood Division, before eventually moving to the West Valley Division, and then back to the Hollywood Division. Now Kilcoin would finally get his start into detective work in 1982 when he was asked to help out on a case by Hollywood homicide supervisor Russ Cutstar. He took Kilcoin under his wing and molded him to become one of the best detectives. Kilcoin spent three years learning the ropes of detective work before being transferred to the Wilshire Division. In 1990, Custer was off duty at a diner, and again, this is his sensei. Yeah. When he witnessed a disturbance in progress and intervened. Custer ended up being shot in the heart and chest. But Custer was able to pull his gun And he ended the threat, but then succumbed to his injuries at St. Joseph's in Burbank. Killjoyn would then join the Robbery Homicide Unit in 1994 and was involved in numerous high end cases, including the OJ Simpson case and also the murder of Bill Cosby's son, Ennis. I never knew that. I never knew that his son would be murdered. I didn't know Bill Cosby had a son. I, I didn't either. know he was murdered i didn't know he had a son and also i didn't know that his son was murdered <laughs> also i i didn't mean to make
3: kill coin's story so epic with his music uh oh, but it worked out
1: this is very epic kill coin mm. is a badass also <laughs> yeah. that
0: name like i thought that, that was like a like a little moniker or something i didn't know it was his actual name
1: i didn't look up yeah. I, I, so i listened to the book and it says kill coin i didn't look, look up how to spell it. I just spelt it out. Kill coin. <laughs> yes. So did I, dude. I did the same thing.
0: I just assumed that was like a, I don't know. Something. It meant something like a,
1: no, know, a task
0: force or something.
3: No, his name's <laughs> no, his name. He's yeah.
1: badass.
0: It's a dope name. Yeah.
1: <clears throat> so after being part of the OJ Simpson and the murder of Bill Cosby's kid, uh, he recently solved the case of the black widow murders. Are You guys familiar with those?
0: I don't think so.
1: Okay. Two women, Olga Rederschmidt and Helen Golay. Uh, They befriended multiple homeless people, took out life insurance policies on them, and then staged hit and run murders and collected on the life insurance policies. This what?
3: sounds This sounds like that one show we watched, uh, The Worst Roommate Ever, the, the little oh, yeah. old lady. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. Wait, that old lady was the killer?
3: Yeah, the old lady was a killer. Yeah, and she would did take you in know, these. Did uh, you not special, watch it? She didn't watch the episode with me. I, I thought the old it. the old it lady on, on that and, page,
0: and I thought that she was the victim. And I don't do well with old people
3: getting murdered. No. I have a special heart for old people. She was a murderer. No. Yeah, she would take in uh, these special needs guys or people like homeless, homeless people. people, and yeah, and then uh, yeah, they were just oh, I don't know where they went. He's in Mexico. Well, I don't know. Well, <laughs> she was cheesing
0: yeah. hard in her picture on that well,
1: cover. Mm-hmm. Okay, so. Long story short on that. Mm -hmm. Uh, She had done it before where she would take in people and you can live here for free, but I'm going to be the signer on your social security checks. So she would get the direct payments for social security for all these people that lived in her house. And then she would kill them and still
3: continue to collect those checks. and She's legally allowed to sign for them.
1: Yeah. She buried them in her garden
3: our little oh. garden
1: yeah and there's like seven bodies back there yeah
0: wait that lady and, on that show
1: yeah yeah and there was Holy one shit. there was one person uh because she um liked to help out like the homeless in the area she she was infatuated or became really good friends with um one of the people that she's like hey this is going to be a good fit for you sorry this is a side tangent by the way yeah completely <laughs> completely i'm interested
0: that i'm in it <laughs> it's the
1: side tangent so there was a guy that was homeless, and was, I think he was from, like, Costa Rica. And she wanted him to get help because he was staying at a, um, a sober living facility, but he wasn't a uh, addict or anything. That was just his living conditions. And she's like, hey, here's this new place. I'm going to put you in here. She's fucking fantastic. Like, everyone loves her. And then he disappeared. And so okay. this one social worker like fought to find out what happened to him. And that's how everything unfolded Mm -hmm. of, of, of talking. Cause 'cause they
3: had, they had one person who cared about one person.
1: Yeah, it was. And just with that, it was a lady. Yeah. Yeah. One lady that cared about one homeless person who ended up in the house and he just disappeared. And so she talked to one of the other people and he's like, Oh, Oh, she, She's lying, and then yeah. it it turned in, it morphed into like a big old investigation. They dug up her garden and found bodies, and she actually hey, like I have to watch that. She actually, you no, know, it's
3: it's a good show. Oh, like, this whole oh show is God. it's kind
1: of infuriating a little bit, like well, not a little, a whole lot. They but... let they let her run away. Wait, you know? what? Yes, <laughs> she wanted to go to the coffee shop and like, all right, cool, beat feet, go hang out at the coffee shop. <laughs> And they found another body, and then they went back to the cop shop, like, hey, we, we got arrested, chick. We found another body, and she was gone.
0: Oh my God.
3: Yeah.
1: Those sound like
0: bang up know. cops right there.
3: Yeah. And then the, the whole they showed like digging through the garden, and she's like, oh, here's a, oh, uh, sounds- shit, that's bone. Okay. <laughs> that's bone.
1: The <laughs> garden is tiny. It's tiny. And there's it's like seven like, bodies there. Yeah. It's probably like 10 by 20. Think of like, what?
0: That lady was not big enough to be out here hauling oh, that's, that's, ass men around somebody's helping her out. They
3: say that. They're just like, this little old lady is doing this shit? Like, oh, she was always gardening. She's always yeah. digging holes back there. How did she kill him though?
1: Uh poison, poison. I believe. Oh, poison word. Yeah, they poison their like tea and stuff. Shit. Uh go it's ahead crazy. and say it. Well
3: go ahead and say it. I digress. Thank you. <laughs>
1: But it's a really great show. <laughs> yeah, it really is. <laughs> it is. It's, it's honestly fucking really good.
0: I was going to catch the Kardashians after this episode, but I might have to pick that up tonight.
1: <laughs> the West They're on
3: Hulu now. It's a whole new series. Okay?
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> You'd love it, Billy. Come on.
1: <laughs> right. The only on person that. I would love to be pete pete oh
3: i'd love to be travis no <laughs> no i think i would yeah. be travis i think uh who's you? He, uh chloe
0: no he's with courtney stop okay
3: okay i don't know that i don't right. know the courtney
0: different... was the tristan thompson <clears throat>
3: okay oh, but, okay okay either but, way courtney i think listen. is better than kim in mm. the looks department anyway for sure what yeah, I don't think Kim is that attractive, man. I don't know. I don't see it. Like I'm not saying she's ugly by any means. I'm just I think Courtney is better looking. Why are we talking about this? Can we uh, please move on? <laughs>
1: <laughs> He's going to have a kid with her. They're doing IVF. Therapy. Oh yeah.
0: Wait, which one? Travis. Bro, bro we're not here
3: better. to talk about Kardashians.
1: Please yeah, move Travis on. Yeah, Travis and Courtney. They're doing IVF. Oh yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. They are they are, yeah. I thought you, meant
1: you Kim and I'd me. rather be <laughs> IVF please I'd, move rather, on. I'd rather be P David and please. Please. Just please, smashing. Can we, just can we please sm- move it on? Just well, smashing. See, I know you can see me now. Can smashing.
3: You please, let's what? let's keep this going, bro. Please, Kim. let's let's wrap this
1: up, bro. Wrap okay. it up. Wrap just, it up, B. I would just. Rather, I'd rather smash on Kim than Courtney. I don't know. What to tell you, dude. Wrap it up, B. All right, dude.
3: Wrap it before
0: you tap it.
1: All right. Well, kill coin. <laughs> he joined robbery homicide in 1994 and. Again, he was involved in those high-end cases. O.J. Simpson, the Bill Cosby son. And then I briefly talked about the Black Widow murderers. Mm -hmm. Again, this was the, the Olga and Helen. They became friends with multiple homeless men, took out life insurance policies, and then they killed them. Now, I have a lot of notes here that I'm trying to get through, but they pulled in a lot of heavy hitters into their division David Grouchy Rod El Guapo Amador they have cool really cool names
3: yeah, that is a cool name I want we talked about this in our El Chapo series like we want cool nicknames
1: they have cool nicknames Gino <laughs> Uh and so he pulled in investigators to create this task force to specifically find this killer and they got forced up on the eighth floor of uh, the LAPD division and started searching around because, it, again, it this was like a like abandoned floor. Yeah, imagine that like just dry. So like, ah, oh, we got to find office desks. We found fax machines. Uh, and. They try to come up with a name. They're trying to figure out a name for their squad. And like, wh- The captain was like, what's your squad name? And they were joking around, calling it like the Hillside Strangler and blah, 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 blah.
3: Yeah, because the Grim Sleeper wasn't a name yet. This is yeah. 2007, you said?
1: Yeah. 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 And so uh, the main guy was like, uh, we're going to be Task Force 800. Like, oh, my God. There are 800 victims. He's like, What? No, <laughs> no, it's a number on the door. <laughs> man, man, uh, the, the number on the door to their office was 800. A, so. <laughs> I guess
3: it's a good thing they're good at detective work because their imagination is not very good.
1: No, they're like, They just look at the it's number like, on the door.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's the we're on the eighth floor. It's I
1: thought it was gonna be normal. so
0: meaningful. Like, that was literally
1: the reason was the door number? Yeah, Yeah. door number, yeah. Yeah, Task Force 800. Because they're on the door set 800. (laughs) And so once they came up with the name, the Task Force started digging in. KillCoin would use the fingerprints they lifted to match them to the database in hopes it would match with the FBI's investigation. But... This killer was different than the other serial killers in the area. Was he killing black women of the night knowing no one would look for them? Because most serial killers, they don't stop until they are caught. And now the 800 Task Force was keen on finding this mysterious killer. And more importantly, the bodies. Because they were finding him dumped in trash dumpsters, trash dumpsters. In the area.
3: And uh, for the most part, the 800 task force wasn't making much progress. So when they saw an article about Governor Jerry Brown making California the first state to allow familiar DNA to be tested against criminal evidence, he was super fucking stoked. And basically what this means is that if they had DNA evidence and they weren't able to bring up a match in their criminal database, it was now legal to check outside DNA registries of people who have not committed a crime. However, this could only be used in cases where the perpetrator is a public safety concern, specifically in sexual assault cases and murder, and all other investigative efforts have been exhausted. So, you know, obviously this is a huge deal and super controversial since the authorities are thought to be intruding on our civil liberties and a lot of people were against it dna has been a tool used across the pond in england since like 2002 but americans had and some still do see this as a huge ethical problem
1: yeah a lot
3: of it's st- yeah it's a huge ethical problem i think and i i kind of do you, do you think i that? i see the well, I see the benefits of it. and I'm super for it, but I do see that side of it. I do see how it could pose ethical questions. I do see it. However, I'm super for it because, like I've said this before, like if my brother has committed many crimes and my DNA catches him, fuck yeah, you know, fuck you.
1: <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, there are uh, very few and far between jobs that require fingerprinting, right? Right. My job requires fingerprinting mine too cuz yeah mine too uh, i yeah. th- people are reliant on the public service and so you know i had to give fingerprints it makes sense but not every you know you're not born and they have to take your fingerprints when you're born right so the ethical thing like i could give two fucks about it yeah unless you unless you're a criminal or you work in a industry where you're involved in public safety or like you, yourself, Octavio, you're working in the, the Department of Defense, right? Mm-hmm. You're working in yeah, the DOD. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, technically, yes. Yeah. Um, they need to know who's working those jobs. Everyone else is free and clear to just go about their business and they don't have to worry about being fingerprinted unless they're fucking, they get captured for some sort of crime yeah it was those so,
3: two those two crimes that i talked so, about earlier is so sexual the, assault or murder
1: so the ethicality can go out the fucking window i could give two fucks yeah about that. If no you i know i'm you you're in the system there's a reason why you're in the system and if you commit a fucking crime i i fucking so hope that they use your fingerprints against you
3: yeah, no, I'm on the same page. I just, I can see the ethical problems with it. I can see it. I just don't give a shit about it. Um, so, but, you know, what's it's been crazy.
1: Would you have an ethical problem with every person being fingerprinted when they're like 10 years old for the government?
3: No,
0: because um, it helps with missing children, I would think in that case. But I am scared to do those 23andMe things because what if I'm related to someone who is committed a crime? That's what I'm and- not
3: afraid of. I, I'm not, I don't want to be related to someone, but I'd be like... I, oh, like, you're going to be related to Hitler?
1: <laughs>
0: That's what I'm saying. Like, what if I'm related to somebody like that? Like, I don't think, like, a future – I'm not afraid of, like, my sister your, committing murder your, like that. Your history, your, that. Your,
1: your history doesn't dictate what you are. So, no. bear that yeah. in mind. But you know what's crazy, dude, is uh... – <laughs> Does that help your 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 emotional thing? Like, your history doesn't affect who you are.
3: Yeah, thanks. You so, what what i'm trying to say is like a lot of it it's crazy like it stems from the thought uh like the groups that have a problem with it it stems from the thought that minorities who have not committed a crime would become the target of their criminal investigation you know what i'm saying like if you start using people who have not committed a crime if you use their dna what's the stop the police from investigating you even though you've this isn't fucking minority report you know what I'm saying? Like you there's no future crime police, so you know the the ethicality is on whether the police abuses
1: it or not. But I I, I am a hundred percent okay with it if it solves crimes.
3: I like, see I like, think the same thing. Are, but are I, they
1: are they fingerprinting minorities more than they fingerprint non minorities? No. They fingerprint people that they arrest, right? But
0: there's like a but, significant yeah, I mean, they, increase okay, so, so in are saying arrests. Yeah,
1: so you're saying they arrest more there's, minorities? Yeah, more? That's okay. Re- re- that is a uh, can of worms that. Right. That's we, what I was about
3: to say. Like if, we're not getting into that, but if yes, we open we'll, up that because, can of worms,
1: yeah. there is we're never going to end this episode. We're never in the episode. There is a big thing, <laughs> minorities and yeah. arrest records. But I'm all I'm saying is, if they, you know, once you're 12, right? Once you're Fingerprints finally are, uh, uh, whatever, matured and they take everyone's fingerprints as an Is, that when, they, is that when they mature? I have no idea. I think, it, I think it's doing that. I think it's doing that, but I think it's once you hit your, you know, You're, no, you,
0: they're not because our kid is 12 and he for sure does not have fully developed fingers. yet. Yeah. fingerprints. I don't think.
1: I think once you hit your teens, once you get through mm. puberty, I think you get developed fingerprints. I mean, I have a, Uh, one of my fingers, I have a burn mark, so I'm like Mm -hmm. forever engraved in the system. Um, if they did that to everyone, I think, um, the right, like the whole like racist thing would go out the window, but people would obviously be like, Why are you taking our fingerprints? It's all, yeah, yeah, and you know, uh, we're we're not living in the south,
3: especially. like, living in the South especially, a lot of people are anti, like, big government. They're like, why does the government need anything from me? I'm my own citizen, you know. A lot of I that. I hate that shit
0: because, one, you have a social security card, and if you drive a fucking vehicle legally, you are in the fucking system. You have your picture taken, yeah. your address, your birthday, your social security number, all and, that shit. People and anything...
3: Sneaking. Anything and everything they want to know is in your pocket. Again, whole time. So this is a exactly. whole other like. Uh, yeah, this is a whole different conversation. We could
1: go on a whole podcast about the government and why people are against they're it. They're over. They're and overstepping, why they're, and-, and why they're why they're fucking stupid in that because <laughs> you need the government to exist in this society. <gasps> Yeah, anyways
3: <laughs> right so not you know another aspect of it these people thinking is that um they thought that familial dna searches would be used more on colored folks but okay i this is just me i could be wrong but from what i have seen familial testing is kind of expensive and it is historically have mainly been used to solve high profile cases of white people white people white people so that thought process to me is kind
1: of like uh, not.
3: A, yeah, it a goes, goes out
1: the fucking window, dude. I Yeah. I, they're uh, saying this, race is the thing. It's like, get the fuck out of here, dude.
3: And yeah, they're thinking that like, oh, the police are going to use it to solve more, like put more colored people in prison. But really, they're just going after these high profile, like white women cases. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, And if colored
1: people are the perpetrators in these high profile white people cases, then I'm sorry. You, yeah, got I mean, you
3: deserve you deserve to go to prison you, for what you got, did.
1: You got caught. Yeah.
3: I, I, so and again, that's just what it looks like to me. I could be wrong on how they use it. I'm not a professional in the field. But from what I have looked up in true crime world, that is what it looks like. They're using this for high profile white people cases. But since the Grim Sleeper was such a high profile case due to Christine's article, first of all, uh, and the pressure that that article created around the police department was super immense. And of course, since this case definitely met both criteria, uh, you know, a sexually assault case and a murder case, uh, they submitted it. And, you know, they also pretty much exhausted all other measures of investigation. So they met with people in Sacramento like. People in charge and uh, agreed that this case was the perfect case to test this new investigative tool. Since 2008, it had just been made legal. Unfortunately, though, after a few months, the DNA did not have a familial match. So even that was a dead end. And yet again, at the same time, Christine was still looking into uh, the cases and talking to the coroner. Um, And she was even talking to other detectives about a possible connection. And even though there was a connection and the police knew that there was, they weren't about to tell a reporter about it. So the coroner gave her a new list of new victims. And of course, there was a connection in that list with the autopsy reports of Janicia Peters. But they were going to make Christine work to get there. She did find out that one of the victims had been transferred to robbery homicide. And just with that little bit of information, uh, Christine knew that this girl was connected. So she made a bunch more calls and this led to Christine having a one-on-one meeting with your boy, KillCoin. And so she she pretty much straight up told him that uh, she planned on writing about the secret task force hunting down a serial killer. And, uh, you know, the decision to keep it secret was the thing that really didn't sit well with the public. But KillCoin says that from an investigative standpoint, he didn't want the killer to know that they were onto him. Which I guess makes sense. Uh, I yeah. guess. how? I feel what, uh, like
0: nobody fucking knew they were onto him, so, like, they didn't have a fear. That should have been a, a like, rational fear of his because well, I mean, they weren't doing shit at this point.
1: <laughs> you're trying to create a task force to catch a... Uh, serial killer, you don't want the serial killer to know there's yeah, a task no.
3: force. No, I get it, but
1: so they, they could have kept... her for the people <laughs> in the back. They
3: could have told the families, though. The families didn't even know this task force existed.
1: Well, the, they be like, <laughs> like, hey, we're investigating. Don't tell them about the secret Task, task force, trying to catch no, a single killer
0: they didn't tell them that they were investigating their deaths at all though they were just man, sex man. workers who were discarded like trash and these families were never spoken to until this reporter Not went until to them. this
3: reporter yeah literally 20. none of
0: them had spoken to a detective about this case their their Whoa. loved ones passing. i knew nothing
1: <laughs> all right so i'm Killcoin. uh yeah ma'am, uh we're investigating the case we're on it we have a super secret task force And we're going to find the killer.
0: Okay, but even before your boy Killcoin came in, nobody had spoken to them. What? Nobody had spoken to them. Even before the task force was formed and Killcoin went and, you know, thought outside of the box and made this fucking task force named after a door. Like, nobody spoke to these victims' families. Nobody. Not a detective in the department before this task force was formed at all. Like, the Christine...
3: That's was messed the up. only
0: person who spoke to yeah them that's the problem and that's what I'm attention saying. to it.
3: That's what I'm saying. like I'm not saying make the task force public. I'm saying at least let the family know that they're working on it and none of that was ever made until the article came out. But aside from breaking the story in 2008, the most important thing Christine did was talk directly to the family members of the women lost because like I said before, she was the first to ask the family about their loved ones at all. And a lot of the families thought the world had forgotten about their loved ones. And it must be super frustrating to feel like the cases were not taken seriously or even actively pursued, which is true. So, I mean, that's, that's the problem here. It's not that they kept it a secret because obviously investigatively, you can't fucking go around saying, Hey, we're looking for you guy. Like, you, you know what I mean? But you gotta, the victims are who this is about, right? So any kind of, communication with the families of people who lost somebody is kind of necessary, dude. Like, if you're actively investigating it now. But... After the story broke, the police got a couple calls about the case. But really, Christine got a shit ton of calls. And a lot of them from like wives or girlfriends who thought their husbands were the killer. Um, But some of them were there just ratting on their husband or boyfriend because they just wanted to get some kind of revenge. We've seen this before. Like people make calls like, I think it's my boyfriend. Uh, You know, you know how it goes. We have talked about this before. People just trying to get their loved one in trouble or Mm -hmm. boyfriend in trouble what yeah people will say oh i think uh my boyfriend is the killer and really they're just like maybe the boyfriend cheated or something and they just want the cops to fuck with them i don't know like it's it happens Hold more on. than you
1: think emily you're saying you never thought of that before
3: absolutely
0: not that seems like a lot of stress on myself rather than him like fuck that i ain't got time for that
1: looking at you octavia yeah
3: And i really don't think it's ever crossed her mind that's not
1: how she thinks she takes a more direct approach.
3: It. Yeah. Yeah. I handle shit myself.
1: Approach. Yeah. Well, good luck to y'all.
3: <laughs> so the people who called Christine called her and not the police because in case they were wrong, they didn't want their husband or friend or boyfriend to be the focus of the police. And um, actually on two separate occasions – women had asked Christine to give the police DNA because they didn't want to go directly to them. So the first one had given her a fork after having dinner. Uh, and the second one gave her a cup, a cup full of semen. <laughs> and when Christine called detectives to ask what to do with a cup full of semen, she was told they were out of town, it. but it, it was a, it was a hot, June day or whatever. So she asked, oh like, Do I need to refrigerate this cup of semen? Swallow and they're it. like, Yeah, yeah, go ahead and put that in your refrigerator, which she did. <laughs> I oh just think God. it's funny. Like, like the first lady gives her a fork with DNA from her husband or whatever, and the second lady straight up like, Here's some jizz. <laughs> like
0: Was this the French woman?
3: oh uh, yeah. Yeah, well. Gross. You know, She was just like you know, she's just like, I didn't I didn't know what else to get. Swallow so. it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how she obtained the evidence, but she got it. But either way, both samples she submitted were not the perpetrator. So, in the real police investigation, not the Christine investigation, they decided to focus on the weird phone call that was made about, um, about the van. Remember that phone call we played last episode? Yes. Where the, the guy was like, "All right, bye-bye then." <laughs> I know too many people. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I give getting my
3: name. Bye okay bye so uh people by the way were pissed that the phone call had never been made public until two decades after the phone call had been made it was never made put on the news like hey do you recognize this voice which probably could have helped a long time ago uh, uh yeah a lot so people were like dude why the fuck are you playing this now it's been 22 years since that phone call But, you know, either way, along with the phone call, they focused on the blue and white church van, um, and they found that there, there were fingerprints on the van, and they happened to belong to a preacher. Unfortunately, that preacher had passed away, but again, either way, the DNA did not match the preacher, and he was ruled out. So they tried a new tactic, they were going to canvas the old neighborhood where Anitra had her encounter and this actually proved to be somewhat difficult because the neighborhood had changed from mostly black people to Latinos, but still they did find a, a few people who were around the area back in the day and that's when they talked to people who were already in prison for different crimes. Um, and then they asked, asked them if they recognized the voice in the phone call. And crazy enough, they both separately said the voice sounds like a guy they used to go to church with. And when they tracked down that guy, he was still alive. I don't think he was in prison, but he was, uh, I think he was just in, around the neighborhood. But they played the tape for that guy, right? Who they, two people said, like, this sounds like this guy. And they so like, hey, listen to this tape. Tell us who you think this is. And that same guy even said that that man sounds like me that sounds like my voice but according to him he never made that phone call or at least he didn't remember making that phone call so what they did is they took a dna sample sample and of course it was not a match
0: wait there was also another print found inside the van on the steering wheel i believe that was a parishioner of the church who was still alive who was a hmm. no he wasn't a parishioner his mother worked for the church yeah and He drove the van. He drove the van, was not supposed to be driving the van or whatever. They interviewed him. It was kind of sketch, but he wasn't this person who was the preacher that died. So there was another lead. But my thing is, is like, how are there only two fingerprints in this van to begin with?
3: That's a, I don't know. I don't know how they did that. It might have been the 80s detectives who he did a really what? good job of. Yeah, probably. He worked I think mean, that's possible. Hmm.
1: Yeah.
0: I don't feel like he was smart enough to do that.
1: I don't or he cared, killed. honestly. He killed a lot of people. He did. That's true. <clears throat> so the, the dead end... So dead end
3: after dead end <laughs> for...
1: Th- <laughs> <laughs> no, Both no, of
0: no. you were talking no. and I couldn't hear either one of you.
1: <laughs> dead end after dead end.
3: For three, three years. years. <laughs> meant that in 2010... The task force was down to only four detectives. And Killcoin thought the only reason there was still a task force at all was because there would be massive political backlash if they just stopped investigating altogether. The remaining detectives kept pushing forward. And uh, at a detective conference, um, Killcoin was told by another detective who was not related to the case at all, just another detective at this conference, um, that he should try the familial DNA again because. The number of people in the database had grown from 1 million to almost 1.5 million. So for a few months after submitting DNA again, uh, Kilcoyne assumed that this was another dead end. But then on June 30th, 2010, he received a call that would change everything. The phone call didn't tell him they had found the guy or anything, but he was informed that in two days there would be a meeting and Kilcoin needed to make sure Top Brass were in attendance. When they were finally all in a room together, they got straight to the point and told everybody.
0: The lab did get a familial match. The search has produced a list of 200 genetic profiles of the people in the database who might be related to the Grim Sleeper. Among the top five hits, only one shared a common genetic marker with the DNA found at the crime scenes. The profile belonged to a 28-year-old Christopher John Franklin. He had been in the state databank as a felon since the summer of 2009 after he pled guilty to a felony firearms charge. As a convicted felon, he was required to provide the state a sample of his DNA. The lab had narrowed the search of people related to Christopher down to two men, the first of... the first a possible uncle in Riverside California and the second was Lonnie David Franklin Jr. a longtime South Central resident according to the birth records of and according to birth records he was Christopher's
3: father so now they have a name and it turns out that the guy that they thought might be his uncle had no relation at all so that just left Lonnie during the meeting they were presented with a map of where Lonnie lived and where the victims were found. And wouldn't you know it, he lived in the same neighborhood where many of them were dumped and only three doors down from where he had stopped with Anitra.
1: What? It's
3: crazy, it's right? It's crazy. Yeah. Well, wait. Oh. And uh, do you remember last episode when the police were canvassing and the, a guy named Lonnie was like, yeah, I'll, I'll give you a call back if I know anything.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Wait, I don't remember that.
3: Yeah. Well, same guy. Same guy. Same guy.
0: Hmm. Oh, wait. you Okay, I do. Yeah,
3: sorry. Yeah. So their first job was to look Lonnie up, but it was made crystal clear that Christopher's name should be kept out of their search completely. They were not to even type his name into any official computer, not bring his name up, not once, because they are not investigating Christopher Franklin. They are investigating Lonnie. So this goes with the ethical part of it of you know who they track down and who they uh investigate right so they wanted to they didn't want to fuck this up at all so like look keep christopher's name completely out of it or focused on lonnie but so
0: what if that i don't understand why they would just completely separate them like if he's gonna lead them to possibly well, already catch did him. well already i mean did. like he's... furthermore like if they they're just not going to contact him at all or they just can't search nope. him
3: Nope, he has nothing to do with it. They're investigating Lonnie. So they got to do whatever work, which I'm about to go into to get Lonnie's information. So now they had a name and uh, a location and everything. All they needed to do was track him down. So uh, step one was to, uh, well, step two was to get a tail on Lonnie and collect any trash he may throw away, especially trash that he ate or drank out of. And an interesting little tidbit, uh, trash evidence is legal as long as it's not at their home car porch or trash like they couldn't dig through his private trash can even if it's out on the street but anything he throws away publicly is fair game because it's considered abandoned hmm.
0: in the state of mississippi your trash is on the street it is now city property by the way hmm. so don't don't do that, is shit that in Mississippi
3: is that state by state then
0: I, well, it could be city by city or county ordinance, but I think oh, yeah. our city ordinance is once it's in a receptacle technically that we pay for to have the service picked up, but it is on the street and anything south or, you know, below our sidewalk is city property, mm-hmm. even though we
3: have to fucking mow it. It's yeah. not our trash at that point. It's public. Yeah, it's considered discard. abandoned. Yeah. yeah. So on July 2nd, 2010, they started following his every move frustratingly though after a few days of tailing the guy and getting to know his lifestyle which was leaving his house where he lived with his wife and going directly to his girlfriend's house and then after spending time with his girlfriend dropping her back off and before heading home he would stop and pick up a sex worker that was his daily yeah that was his routine basically and uh which this picking up a sex worker turned out to be a tricky situation for the detectives because if you remember, Lonnie kills sex workers. Um you know, well the Grim Sleeper does. And uh so while they were following him, they were like, uh, what the fuck do we do, guys? Like, are we about to witness Lonnie murder a sex worker in front of us? But of course, uh, Kill Coin was like, No, we're not about to do that. If you if you feel that she's in danger, you need to get a um You know, a squad car out to pull him over and save her, right? But luckily for them, uh, a beat cop had pulled Lonnie over without even knowing that he was being tailed. He just happened to pull him over, and you know, didn't even realize that he possibly saved a woman's life. Um, And so the cop got the girl out, the woman out of the car, and Lonnie drove off, and that was it. So that tense situation ended with a happenstance cop pulling him over. Um, but through all of that, Lonnie never publicly threw away so, anything. So they had to think outside the box. Yep.
1: So what? they just let him go?
3: Yeah. the I don't so, I don't know why. Considering the B cop didn't know he was being investigated, I don't know what reason he
1: had to let him go. Well, uh, there should be an I, APB. I,
0: yeah. Again. I'm so confused by that. Why is there, there not an APB in
3: they don't have the proof they need that this is the guy they're looking for they don't have concrete proof well, but they have uh, enough
0: proof to secretly trail him and like know his every fucking move and Well, I mean it's him not him it's not the first worker. guy
3: it's not the first guy they've trailed they've looked at also where's
0: homeboy getting his stamina he's got a girlfriend a wife and he's going to pick up sex workers in between
1: blue Chew. cocaine uh com.
3: sponsor us please
1: uh blue Chew. <laughs> Let's go.
3: So on July fifth, uh they did get a break that they were looking for. It turns out that Lonnie had taken his two daughters to John's Incredible Pizza in Buena Park Ooh. to attend a birthday party. Buena Park. <laughs> Oh, do you?
1: Yeah, yeah.
3: that's why I, I, I wasn't going to put where, but I was like, "Oh, Will probably knows yeah. what I'm talking about." I don't know John's Incredible Pizza, but I know apart <laughs> It there was a John's incredible. incredible Pizza in Moreno Valley, and it was incredible. The more you know go. yeah. So, thinking quickly, they asked the manager for a John's Incredible Pizza uniform and went over to bust a table where Lonnie had just eaten some pizza. Once the plates were cleared, anything Lonnie had touched was carefully placed into a bag and sealed. They ended up with a fork, two plastic cups, two napkins, and a piece of piece a piece of peaks, Jesus. Pizza. pizza. Piece of pizza and a white plate with some chocolate cake that he had eaten. Now hold
0: on. Back this shit up right now. You cannot take this man's fucking trash from his trash can that is on the street, but you can fucking dress up and in- that's like false pretense. You're portraying yourself as a fucking worker at John's you know Incredible Pizza and you're taking the shit off his table. It's
3: public. You know what? I like I like the observation and uh, it's very astute. We will get into that next episode. Yeah. It's public. Okay.
0: Nope. No, it's not public. That's private property and they are false pretensing themselves as a worker of John's Incredible Pizza. Yeah.
3: yeah. I'm, there's a whole section of this next episode that we're doing, so. <laughs> My bad. There, there. Sorry. <laughs>
1: so it's not so that did
3: oh they had to go to court over it and we'll we'll talk about it so that detective quickly met up with Killcoin, who checked it in as evidence then took it directly to the crime lab to be tested immediately he was told they would have their answer first thing that very next morning however the next day instead of receiving a call with the results he was told it would take one more day because it was fourth of july weekend and everyone was out But he was reassured that they would have the info they needed by 5 a.m. on July the 7th. The next day, all the detectives left on the 800 task force were awake and ready to go. KillCoin was waiting for a call and another guy was literally parked outside a judge's house with an arrest warrant ready uh, to sign. And all he needed was the green light to get out of his car. (sighs) So, um... The thing is that uh, six o'clock or actually he was told by five o'clock. So five o'clock came and went. So at six o'clock, Kilcoin called the lab, but nobody answered. And uh, so he was just getting kind of frustrated. He's like, dude, what the fuck? You said five o'clock at six o'clock. No one's answering. So at 610, he called again at 615. He called again. No answer. So uh, then he waited a few more minutes, but again, still no answer. At 6.30, uh, he received a call, but it was just the guy parked outside the judge's house that was calling KillCoin like, yo, what the fuck, bro? Is it go time or not? But they still had no answers. Finally, at 6.45, he didn't get a call, but he got a short two-word text that simply said, Positive Results. It turns out that the, the delay had been that um, almost everything they had brought in to be tested was like too greasy or like it had like um, Italian dressing on it. So it wasn't easy or they couldn't get a DNA sample out of it. But they did get lucky with a slice of cheese pizza that had hardened enough to get a good sample. With this information, they immediately got the judge to sign off and they were ready to arrest Lonnie Franklin Jr. Which, at 9.20 a.m. on July the 7th, 2010, they had finally arrested the green sleeper. And they just found the guy. He did, Lonnie Franklin didn't put up a fight. They found him uh, outside moving his green Honda Accord. And when they arrested him, he was just like, yeah, this makes sense. And that was it.
1: Can you imagine being the judge <laughs> that early in the morning? Like, yeah, hello? <laughs> All right. <laughs> no, no, he was at the door. He got
3: his door knocked oh, yeah. on. Dude. He, <laughs> he, was
0: he was Olivia Benson, Benson-ing that shit.
3: Yeah, he was. He was at the door. Like I think at the time, because it was like six forty-five. Or 650, uh, the judge was outside like having his morning coffee on his porch and then oh, a, a detective God. walks up, a detective walks up and is like, hey, sign this, and he's like, Okay. <laughs> so
0: I have to like go back a little bit and touch on this because we're in 2010 and like I feel like you still had like a T9 texting method at this point. Why was no one answering the phone? Is it T9? Is that what that's called? Mm-hmm. The Nokia thing or whatever. Anyways, why was no one answering the phone call, but they felt it was like okay to text that? Instead so yeah, of just fucking calling
3: them back, that's I think really weird to they me. They didn't have results and they're like, we're not, we want to have results for you. Like, I don't know why they weren't answering though. Yeah,
1: but most of, my, then, like, most of my conversations, even my call back. Most of my conversations employees now are text. So I didn't, well, I mean, time, I get that, that, but like that, here. Well, they were, now, they, like they,
0: that's
1: they're, 2010. They're busy testing the sample and they texted, like all excited. Positive result. (laughs) (laughs) So
3: uh, that's all we got for this week. Uh, Join us next week as we get into the life of Lonnie and um, all the bullshit that they got into. Um, There's like this fucking bullshit ass trial that took way too fucking long. Um, And we'll talk about uh, the rest of his life. Uh, he's, He's actually had a... I would say eventsful life, A colorful um, life,
1: yeah. Dude, so we are at two hours.
3: Yeah, I think the next one will be shorter, but yeah. I don't know about that. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, but
0: again, thanks, Josh, for uh, giving us this um, topic to talk about. We yeah.
1: thanks, Josh.
0: Thoroughly enjoyed <laughs> you don't sound every actually moment. Thankful, will
1: you? <laughs> you don't Josh, sound actually thankful. Did you enjoy this two-hour-long episode, sir? I hope it's only
0: part it. two, sir.
1: <laughs> I hope you listened to it, you son of a bitch.
0: <laughs> Check us out on our socials, um, at Bloodthirsty Times on Facebook and Instagram, at Pod On Twitter, we all have link trees. And email us if you have any topics that you want to talk about or if you have any questions related to this topic at BloodthirstyPod at gmail.com. And Will's OnlyFans is in his bio.
3: Yep. So, uh, we'll see you next week for the end of this series. And then after that, we have another serial killer to jump into. Yay. And
0: we might be going visual soon.
3: Yeah, we might. See how it works out.
0: All right. Bye.
3: Bye, everybody. See you next week. Get it, boy.
0: at the end of every episode you do that well.